millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Bullock Podcast. I'm Ursula Lindsay in Amman, Jordan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Marsha Linksquayli in Rabat. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Ursula. And we are back after a pretty um, long hiatus. Uh, we had recorded uh, our last episode, uh, I think, in the week before October 7th, um, and uh the since then um the war on gaza uh it has consumed all of our mental and emotional energies or or most of them um and uh, we have not uh focused on putting out episodes of this podcast uh it just hasn't hasn't felt uh, quite like a priority but we're back um Right now, actually, to do an episode on Gaza, on writing from Gaza, on what it can and can't do. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, actually, in, in the last couple of months, um, I, you know, Marsha, you've been very busy with the website Arab Lit. You've actually been doing a lot of um, translating and disseminating and promoting of uh, Palestinian literature. I know that's taken up a lot of your time and energy. Yeah. So, uh, well, actually we started by just posting uh, a piece by Mahmoud Darwish, uh, Silence for the Sake of Gaza. And I don't know, in the beginning, possibly imagine that this, like other uh, attacks on Gaza would would end relatively soon and, and that we would go on hiatus and keep silent or, you know, focus on other things. Uh, And then also, of course, in the immediate aftermath, that was when Adeniyah Shibli's um, award ceremony was removed from the Frankfurt Book Fair, and her event was also canceled at the Frankfurt Book Fair. And and I helped with organizing this this protest letter. Um, 
uh, and, and so that was sort of my immediate focus. But then when things extended and people started reaching out to us with, with poetry and other short works um, from Reza and, and for Reza, um, then we kind of shifted our idea about how we would um, publish in this time. And I, I think we decided immediately that sort of the usual rules of what we publish on Arab Lit don't matter anymore. Because the usual rules is, you know, we publish things translated. It, it's trans. It's translated literature. It could be translated, an Arab writer translated from French or Dutch or German, Arabic, Kurdish, or well, a Kurdish writer tra- translated from Kurdish. But, um, but it, the important thing that it's it's translated because there are so many places for English literature. But we cast these rules to the wind, um, and we decided just focus on. What kind of words can intervene in this moment? Uh, and also we're working on a Reza, Reza, Reza issue and as part of the Publishers for Palestine, different initiatives as well. Um, so I think uh, as this has um, not just, you know, turned into this kind of clear genocidal moment, um, but, kind, you know, stretched out to consume so many things it was sort of impossible not to um engage and and publish and edit and and seek out new works in fact it's kind of hard actually now to remember all the the stages that one has gone through from the beginning Uh, i mean i also had that sense um like in the early days uh, when the news of the Hamas uh, attacks took place and then immediately the Israeli military retaliation began that, you know, something terrible was happening, but also it seemed like it there might be a limit to it. I mean, it was there was a yeah, sense of urgency right. and exceptionality, but also, you know, you know, dread and and then you know as it has stretched on and on and on there's this question of how to respond like you say in your work in your daily life in your mind in your heart to this to this just you know ongoing unconscionable uh situation in which people in Gaza are being killed every day uh, being made to suffer in this way uh, with no end in sight. Um, and so, yeah, I can imagine that you've had to like uh, rethink again and again, like how to respond to this. And part of what we're going to talk about today is also how, yeah, how words can respond to this, how writing can respond to this, how, you know, Palestinian writers in particular and writers in and from Gaza have, have responded to this. Um, I mean, one one thing that we saw uh, kind of early on, uh, like you say, mentioning that that text, that beautiful text from Mahmoud Darish, um, from, I think, Journal for an Ordinary Grief, is mm. in a way everybody went to find certain, you know, uh, almost like key canonical texts that had come from Gaza. There's also a short story by Hassan Kanafani that was very widely circulated. Uh, 
letter from Gaza, I believe is the title. And, and, and sort of, there's been this like searching for uh, the, the words that have been written in the past from and about uh, Gaza and its people. And I've sort of struggled to, to articulate to myself why that has felt so important and well i think powerful. so i think what right i think one thing is is that uh, so much has been written ab about gaza you know um about gaza as a sign of kind of object place um you know by journalists primarily presumably the majority of words have been written by journalists around the world um but these words um let you know not 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 necessarily darwish and kenafeni but um, words by Atif Abu Saif and Rifat al Larir, Hebu Abu Nada, you know, Salim and Afar, these words are words from Gaza. And so I think, you know, there has been um, a very strong movement to listen to. I don't know. Actually, it's it's hard, sometimes hard for me to say how how large the thing is because when one is inside of it, it seems very big because it surrounds them. Um, you know, it's a little bit like a, a childhood home. Maybe if I came back to it later, I would say, "Oh, it's actually not as big as I thought it was." But but I, I do find that there's a movement uh, to publish more writing from uh, Razans uh, and and to listen to Palestinians. Um, and, and there, you know, there have, of course, there are um, many works that uh, Razans have been producing, of course. I, I think there's a really important introduction to the Book of Gaza, which Kama Press published, edited by Atif Abu Saif. And it gives this great introduction, not just to the short story as produced in Gaza and the importance of the short story form, but also publishing challenges in Gaza. Um, and it includes work by, I think, 10 different writers. Uh, one of the standouts uh, is Nairuz Qarmut, who Kama went on to publish uh, a collection of hers and, of course, Atif's own story. And <clears throat> Atif Abu Saif is probably, I, I think he's the only writer who lives in Gaza who's been shortlisted for the International Prize for Arabic Fiction um, with his 2019 detective, oh, sorry, it's his, it's a suspended life that was shortlisted for the International Prize for Arabic Fiction. And that, that turned into three books that ended with a detective novel running in place, which I think is really strong. And it ha you know, this work hasn't been translated his, his fictions, um, but his, his nonfiction, which he's written in English with, uh, some support, by mostly by publisher Rob Page, I think, uh, started with, you know, collected in The Drone Eats With Me in 2014, which is a past, um, came out of a past um, bombardment of Gaza. And then he has a new one called Don't Look Left coming in February from seven publishers in six languages, sort of simultaneous, well, the, some in February, some in March, uh, depending on when they can get it finished. Um and then also there have been there are a lot of poets in in Gaza. Um, I think two of the most significant ones: Salima Nafar writing in Arabic, Mosab Abu Toha writing in English. Um, but there are many other ones, especially uh, and I think of of the youngest younger ones. So many of them uh, were mentored by Rafat, 
Rafat Alarir, who, who died under bombardment in December. Yes, who who seems to have played an, a very important role in so many people's education and introduction to literature and love for writing and love for reading, um, and who's being remembered and, and, and honored in, in a number of ways by, by many other writers. I mean, one of the terrible things that's happening right now is that uh, one is actually learning of writers, of their work, of their names, of their life stories from the fact that they are killed. Um, and uh, yeah, no, uh, for instance, Hebo Abu Nada died in October, and that was the first I had heard of her work. She, her novel, um, Oxygen is Not for the Dead, was shortlisted for a, you know, Sharjah Creativity Prize. I, I, you know, obviously one can't follow um, all writers, but her, I think poetry was her was her main genre, and there are a number of her poems circulating in translation now. And as I mean, well she as was also, her, she was twenty two years old. Yes, I mean, she's right. just so young. Um, and I mean, and um, at the beginning of what should have been a a writing career. Right. Yeah. And and some of her sort of social media writing is on the Gaza Passages website that we'll mm -hmm. we'll link to, and that yeah. has writing by many young writers who've been killed. Um, I, I mean, I feel like the, so there's been, you know, like you say, in the spaces that we're in online, but, but in quite a few spaces, you know, uh, these, you know, people trying to translate as many, uh, writers, uh, from, from Gaza, from Palestine as they can give lists of books to read. You know, it's kind of reading lists, like if you want to know more, if you want right. to learn more, if these people deserve attention. Like you said, the censoring of Adania Shibley's book, Minor Detail, in fact, led to that book being more widely read uh, than it probably ever would have. I think at one point it was available for free for download. Um, mm. it, 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 it is a, a, a strong and, <laughs> and very interesting work of literature uh, that that deserves to be read in its own right outside of whatever political controversy may have a news attention uh, you know brought attention to it um, I think for me also like I mean there's there's reading from writers right now and there's testimony and like you say for example the the poet Mosab Abu Toha has been writing like about what happened to him and his family as they tried to evacuate Gaza about his own arrest. You know, there's, 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 you know, uh, very contemporary writing and almost rep, rep, reportage and witnessing. Um, and, but, but all of the writing, even going back, you know, to before the current conflict, um, I feel like for, for me affirms something that, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't need necessarily to be affirmed, but it's sort of, uh, it, it goes against this idea of, of Gaza as a kind of uh, a place sort of without history and, and without voice and without narrative that is only this, this place of like the, the external mm, mm. Western Israeli world views as like a problem, you know, a military right, right. problem, a humanitarian problem. Um, and, 
and 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 and, and instead there's such a, such a richness of its its own storytelling about itself uh you know its own even mismaking about itself poetry about itself that 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 is there that I, I that for me also feels like what i what i why it's, it seems important to like i don't know read and share uh the, the the storytelling is not just about saying this is what the terrible things that they're doing to us right now, which is also very important, but it's also about saying like, we are so much more than this. Yes, yes. This doesn't define us. We define us. I think part of um, the idea of the Reza, Reza, Reza issue is that <clears throat> is that we want to do, uh, um, I'm particularly looking for classical prose that mentions Reza from from past centuries um mm. uh also sort of long views of of different things you know i've been telling writers like i don't know a history of rose production in gaza for the last hundred years or or about a particular dish and how it exists you know whatever whatever people want to um um to write about that that kind of makes our our view of 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 gaza bigger yeah. um and and we're we'll, we will have you know but alawur i just found out she is, we'll have these illustrations by her that she did um of i'm i'm sure many people have seen those two children with the fish that they rescued um from the bombardment i think of 2014 was it um and uh, or i i don't know you know which which bombardment it was mm-hmm. but um but that she's a finalist of the Bologna, a 2024 finalist for the Bologna Prize, which is sort of the giant prize of, of children's illustration. So there's so many talented, I think, Gazan writers, um, artists, musicians that we want to, um, you know, bring together to, yeah, to make it not not just about Raza as defined in this narrow way, Raza as Raza as Hamas, you know, Raza right. as a target. Because I think there's something about about acknowledging the full history of a place that also acknowledges the full potential of it of mm. it being having been and therefore could be a different place. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say how little I knew about Gaza's history myself and how much I've actually learned in the last couple of months. Uh, because I've been looking for for that kind of reading, um, and you know the degree to which this is uh, you know a, a a a crossing point and a node in in transportation and trade that you know goes goes back uh, uh, centuries and 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 mm-hmm. millennia, and that has you know this an architectural and historical heritage has of course now been, been nearly destroyed. Uh, that has this this location that makes it, sh- sh- you know, what it should be an open uh, crisscrossing place, and it and it was in the past, and 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 so it's it's extraordinary how much against the the historical nature of the place it was to to shut it up the way it has been since 1948 mm. when it when when it became unnaturally closed off isolated increasingly isolated and dependent a uh, place that could not sustain itself because it was cut off from all of its traditional uh, 
connections to land and to trade uh and 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 turned and turned into this uh you know uh and the people who lived there were all people who were refugees from from surrounding villages and surrounding land that they couldn't access anymore so i mean so i think there's an importance in the history and and then you know so much of the writing is about um the history of 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 resistance and rebellion uh in gaza to this uh, you know, unsustainable, unnatural state of affairs. Yeah, um, I just want to say that to, to me, um, it, it was, uh, I I had, you know, I, sort of I had a certain picture of, of Gaza from, you know, the sort of relentlessness of the, of the media about it. And, but from Sonia Nimr's uh, Wondrous Journeys, Qamar, who comes from farther north in, in Palestine, uh, when she reaches Gaza, so this is a fantasy novel set in a kind of a squishy time, like 14th, 15th century, maybe. It's not specified, and Sonia doesn't want anyone to specify. But when she reached, so she, it's about her, uh, she she goes traveling, really, around the Mediterranean and around the world. Um, and But when she first leaves Palestine, she, uh, she goes... To, she's headed towards Egypt and she she goes through Gaza. And when she first sees it, it's the first time she's ever seen the sea. And it's this magical place for her. It's this beautiful, magical place where she sees the sea and the, and the waves coming in and the fish and the people there. And it's like, um, yeah, it's the uh, it's a trade port. It's cosmopolitan. It's open. It's it's a place of peace and refuge for this character. And it was such a different way of seeing seeing this place that I've I've heard about so often that I I kind of come back to that Gaza, like <laughs> to mentally live there sometimes if I need to. Mm. Um. <clears throat> Well, you 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 mentioned in terms of um, uh, forthcoming work and and work that's that's coming out now. Um, some of the writers that people might uh, follow or look for, um, Mosa Babu Toha, who's been writing in the in the New Yorker, um, and you said Atif Abu Saif has a new book forthcoming. Um, yes, don't look left. Don't look left, uh, and and he was he was in Gaza for the first month and a half of the or so, something like that. I mean, I think for a until December thirtieth. Yeah, okay. Dece- until December thirtieth. Oh, that late. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, and there's also uh, we just I just heard very recently from you that there is this uh, there's a forthcoming book from the poet Fadi Judah whose work we both admire very much and that uh, it was has most a lot of the poems in it have been written in the last few months and yes. and sort of address what has been happening uh, in the last few months. Yeah, it's called bracket dot 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 bracket. I'm not quite sure how to. I haven't asked Fadi how I'm supposed to, uh, I'm supposed to title it, but. Um, uh, it, so it's it, an ellipsis, basically? Yes, it's an ellipsis. Yeah, it's a, huh. a pause, an ellipsis, um, in, encapsulated in brackets. Um, uh, a breath for Gaza, I don't know. Um, mm. And I find this collection of his work to be extraordinary. And 
um, I, I want to start by, if, if it's all right, by just reading one of the poems from, from it. Um, mm-hmm. That is also, many of the poems are titled bracket, ellipsis, bracket, um, and, as this one is now. And then to kind of talk through, uh, talk through the poems in the collection. Ceasefire Now, Before Thanksgiving, by Christmas or the New Year, on MLK Day or Easter, forever, before old tricks find themselves out and genocide is seen through this year or the next decade and scholars sign off on it. Repetition won't guarantee wisdom, but cease now before your wisdom is an echo. We need to differentiate between the dead and the not here. We require you to restore your mind to your heart, its earliest version, before the world touched it. After the massacre, who will emerge innocent? And I, a serf, online or behind fences, cease fire now. Sure, you will have to grant more rights, cede new ground. Sure, revolution shall not last, shall not end. And that's uh, one of the early poems in the collection. And the reason I wanted to, uh, why I chose that one is because I think uh, many of the poems in the collection take these phrases that um, are in kind of common currency uh, now and, and and kind of you know distorted common currency, or we hear them so often that they they cease meaning anything. Like ceasefire now, uh, from the river to the sea, natural disaster, return, denounce. <laughs> There's a um, a denounce poem about. You know, you can uh, uh, imagine, uh, um, and 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 he takes these phrases, he opens them up, and he plays with them, and and there's even a uh, I don't know a, a sense of humor in this collection that is sometimes even you know sometimes dark, you know, ceasefire now before Thanksgiving by Christmas or New Year MLK Day Easter, uh, you know, sometimes a kind of a dark. Um, uh, but sometimes mm. light, uh, <laughs> there's this line uh, or several lines. Listen, ears are erogenous. I'll lick your ears against revenge. I, I, I mean, it, um, I, I cried while reading this collection, which I expected, but I also laughed, which I definitely did not, um, expect. Um, there, it, it, it's, um, Sometimes, you know, Fady's earlier work, I, I, you know, you can tell how much, feel how much thought and sculpting went into it. But the, this feels like there's such a, a moral clarity that sometimes the, the poems just feel like burst out, um, uh, like they just, you know, like they were a first draft that came out just right because you were thinking about it just right. Mm. You know what I mean? Um there's um there's another poem that speaking of the way he uh sort of interacts very directly with the language of the moment um or with the i mean yeah there's a lot of like you say very very both clever but like but but clear like clear because he's it's like he's seeing clearly through um all of all of the the language that's being used 
falsely mm. or violently and then and then and then he's he's reusing it and re-responding to it um in these ways that are like mocking but also like gentle and rueful and um there, there's 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 one other poem that has also i've i had seen it online before do you know the one that starts they did not mean to kill the children yes yeah i think that was Sh on shall the i Shall I, shall yeah, I read that? Ahead, I think it's very... Yeah. <clears throat> they did not mean to kill the children. They meant to. Too many kids got in the way of precisely imprecise one-ton ton bombs dropped a thousand and one times over the children's nights. They will not forgive the children this sin. They wanted to save them from future sins or send them wrapped lifetimes of reconstructive surgical hours pro bono, mental anguish to pass down to their offspring. Will the children have offspring? This is what the bomb droppers did not know they wanted, to see if others will be like them after unquantifiable suffering. They wanted to lead their own study, but forgot that not all suffering worships power after survival. What childhood does a destroyed childhood beget? My parents showed me the way. Yeah, I think so. A couple of the things that, that to me are so striking about this collection are, yes, it's, it's incredible gentleness um, in, the, in, the, in the face of this um, very sort of open, bright... Um, denunciation or or fearless talking about what's going on but but not you know i'll lick your ears against revenge i, I mean I, um the kind of ways in which he fights back are not ever obvious are are always uh a, there's a twist to them and I, I just, I, I love, I just wanted just the first <laughs> stanza of this. Why don't you denounce what you ask me to denounce? We can do it together on the count of three. Or you should go first on account of your obsession with my going first. Your grand inquisitor role isn't for doves. Your better angel is calling you. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, there's I just a forthrightness. Am, there's a sort I of really, naturalness to it. You mm -hmm. feel that he's, it's this conversation, these conversations that we've all been having in our heads, where we are trying to yeah. persuade imaginary interlocutors, you know, that that this violence against civilians in Gaza is not the answer. You know, that this mm. is not a solution, that this is not justified, that there is another way forward that, you know, what seems so obvious, so painfully obvious. And yet, you know, it, you, you go mad kind of seeing all, you know, the ways in which what seems so painfully obvious to you is denied. He's having those conversations on the page and... Mm. Um, he, yeah, no, know. there is in the first poem that begins, I'm, I'm unfinished business. It says to see what isn't hard to see in a world that doesn't. Right. So I, I think that's kind of, um, a, a suggestion of what the, what the collection does with, mm. to see, it sees what isn't hard to see, but in a world that doesn't. Right. And this is going to be out, uh, do you know when? 
It's out in March from okay. from Milkweed. You can pre-order it now, and my understanding that it will be at if anyone is at AWP that it will be there earlier than than the release date. But you can you can pre pre-order it. Oh, we can pre-order it now. Um, I mm. myself have pre-ordered a copy as well. I I mean also having. on just a a a personal level, like I find it so. Um, amazing to think of someone being able to to do their work to do their creative work to do their writing to 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 to, to produce uh poetry uh, under these circumstances at this time uh, addressing what's happening i think that it is so challenging for so for so many like i think you and i have experienced it like third or fourth hand like this sort of feeling of like, it doesn't, it, you know, what, what is it, what is the point of doing our work, which is like reading and writing and talking mm -hmm. about reading and writing, you know, uh, you know, like, I, you know, I, I, I wrote an op-ed for, and, and, and I, and I've written a couple, you know, sort of pieces from, from Amman, from Jordan, you know, talking about, uh, what's happening next door. And, you know, and, and then I'm, I'm reading what other people are writing all the time. And, and, but you just have this feeling of like, uh, you know, uh, near futility, like on the one hand of urgency of wanting to say things and then a futility of like, it doesn't seem to matter how much people say things. And then I cannot imagine what that feels like when you are so much closer to the pain and to the anger and, and, you know, it is your nearest and dearest and yourself who are threatened, um, in this way. Yeah. I think there's a duality to it, right? Because a poem cannot stop a bomb and whatever we say and whatever we do and however much we go out into the streets and, uh, um, stop shipments and whatever, um, it, well, that's the probably, I mean, that's central, that, that's powerful. Stops, stopping the shipments, I think is pretty Okay, pretty stopping cool. the shipments has <laughs> definitely had an effect. Yeah. Okay, but, uh, but the, the appearing before the International Court of Justice, um, not, to, not to diminish any of these actions, every action, of course, I don't know, I, I think is valuable, but. Yeah, I do think every action stopped, is valuable. It's not stopped. Right, but these things, po from poems to 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 trying to stop shipments, have not have not resulted in yeah. in powerful countries seeming to take any stock uh, uh, of their support f for this starvation, bombardment, expulsion, genocidal attack on on Palestinians in Gaza and as well in the in the West Bank currently. Um, mm, so on the one hand, I, I do feel this incredible futility of of undemocracy, of not being able to have any effect impact on on one's as somebody whose government is uh, uh, is you know so uh, intensely pro genocidal, um, the futility of not being able to have any impact uh, on what is being done in my name. Um, but then on the other hand, I do think that these words, um, I think particularly poetry because it is so shareable, um, but, but also prose works um, 
have had an impact on the way in which we see our relationships with each other, our relationships to power, the way in which we can construct our own power, the ways in which we can listen to each other and, and build networks of solidarity. So there's like a frustration about the immediacy, the moment, but also I, I do believe, I do believe in, in, in words I, for constructing a different future. I, you know, I guess I, I have to, or else yeah. <laughs> that would be it for me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think like a lot of people, I, I have been making sort of, uh, lists of, uh, pieces. And for me, actually, they are often prose pieces. They, they are essays and, and articles, uh, that have, that I've read and thought, oh, this is, this, this, this is great, right? Like, this is great because it, it says something true or um, it helped, it articulates something that I feel, but better than I could. Um, you know, it's something I want to share with other people. Uh, it makes me feel like there are people out there I wasn't aware of who share my reaction and my values. And, you, you know, you, you like identity, you like collect them like precious mm. for me. Um, sort of, uh, it gives you both a, a comfort and a sense of strength because like when, when I see something, you know, well, really persuasively and maybe in a way that I haven't been able to put into words myself until then, um, for me, like having that is, is, is helpful. Like it, it, it really makes me, and, and from the very beginning, I mean, and there have been magazines on the left in the States that I'm talking now about, you know, writing, writing in English that, in publications that I often read that have had these like very strong pieces that have made me feel like, okay, so as much as so many, um, so many people have, and so many institutions have, uh, turned out to, you know, be completely on the other side, but here I'm seeing my allies here. I'm seeing people that, uh, inspire me like with what they're with what they're writing you know and everything from like the 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 leftist uh you know anti-zionist jewish publication jewish currents that has had these like amazing essays um to uh you know a lot of the like left magazines in the in the states uh i, I there 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 are they've been like spots of light you know and i and i do think that that writing uh helps it, it really does um at the same time that like i think it's it's difficult and it's uh you know for for many people to to write right now and especially uh you know to either take the to either write creatively uh like like i some somebody shared with me an essay uh by uh Hassan Haj in mm. um i think it's the publication is called allegra um and he talks that you know the 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 opening line of it is is it ethical to write something interesting about a massacre as the massacre is unfolding i think there's mm. this feeling of like guilt of you know what can i add what can i say how do i how do i make my writing uh you know count um and uh, I was going to read a small excerpt from this. I think this yeah. sort of encapsulates the feeling of discouragement, partly. 
Um, Mm. So he says, uh, I was reflecting on this inability to write when Fadi Berdawil contacts me again to check if I have managed to write something for him. He clearly understands the difficulty. We don't talk about it much. I tell him I am trying. But I am telling myself that there was something more than the horrors of the massacre, not wanting to be a carrion eater, and all that, that was stopping me from writing. I note that in periods of intense fighting during the Lebanese Civil War, I sometimes had problems finishing sentences. During this war, however, I am having problems starting them. Every sentence we began to write is full of hope. If nothing else, it takes time to finish a sentence. And when we utter the first word, we are at the very least hopeful that we'll live long enough to finish it. To start sentences, even when you don't know, even when you don't finish them, is a sign of hope. Even if not finishing them means your hope has been thwarted midway through. But not to have it in you to start sentences is a sign of depression. Now, obviously, he writes yeah, the piece. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, and obviously, he he ends up he writes this piece, so he you know gets through the depression. He's it, that balance of of hope and depression, like the fact that we are reading this piece, mm-hmm. we know which one won out. Right, but I right. I yeah, but I do think that encapsulates. But there are it. many right. I think there are many writers who we are not hearing from. Of course, there are writers who we're not hearing from because they're they're dead under bombardment. They or they've been cut off, uh, are un- otherwise able. But there, are, I think, there are writers we're not hearing from because they can't. Yeah, they can't find a way to start the sentence. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. And then there's the, a, a, a third category where there are, there are writers who have said something or would like mm-hmm. to say something and we're not hearing from because we're also in a moment of extreme uh, censorship. And, right, and especially, yeah, especially in the West, right, right. Yeah, right. No, um, the, uh, in, in Germany, I think, which is one of the strong examples, uh, or, or most sort of They've made it the most clear what you're allowed to and not allowed to say if you want to have funding for your art. The Berlin Senate, you know, recently, they, you know, previously you had, you had to, there were many institutions that made you ask writers, particularly almost entirely always Arab writers, to sign these, um, I promise not to subscribe to BDS, etc., things if they wanted funding or if they wanted to participate in anything. And now it's a, a, a sort of a, a government policy that you basically have to, you know, take a loyalty oath to Israel in order to get <clears throat> your your funding, which has resulted in this strike Berlin. Um, but mm. it, it is certainly not just Germany. Um, I've heard uh, things from from France, from 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 the UK, in the U.S., just a few days ago, um, I heard that one of Sonia Nemer's books was removed from the Newark curriculum in New Jersey. Uh, it, it, it was not one of the books that sh- that um, that I worked on. It was a book that she co-wrote with Elizabeth Laird, uh, a little piece of ground, and uh, you know, basically, uh, there was a, 
Apparently, there was a massive campaign, according to the New Jersey newspaper, to get it out of the curriculum. They wouldn't answer the the reporter about whether kids can still check it out of the school library. The entire Newark area library system has one copy, and the reporter said that it was checked out already. Um, so, you know, there's and, a, and, and this I read is just that you know, the... one example of... And it's hard to and it's hard to know from the news articles like the grounds of the decision exactly, but the article quoted, um, you know, uh, someone who works with the uh, with the Jewish organization that campaigned to get the book removed, and they said something. They referenced a scene in which a boy sees his father be humiliated at a checkpoint. That was the only example they gave from the book. And then it said something like, it portrays all Palestinians positively and all Israelis negatively. And therefore, you know, it uh, basically induces prejudice against uh, Israelis and uh, and Jewish people generally. Well, it's interesting I guess. because... And that seems to have been the argument. Right. Yeah. Mm. No, sorry. Go ahead. It's interesting because that's the, the exact same thing that the German press was saying about minor detail. Right. Is that... The Israelis are are portrayed negatively, and the Palestinians, which is literally not true. Sorry, are Adenia portrayed positive. All everyone. portrayed positively. <laughs> Adenia right. portrays everyone as sort of unlikable. It's like I, I suspect she doesn't like us other humans at all. But yeah, actually, um, that's true. The the characters are not. But so I mean, for anyone who I think most a lot of our listeners have heard of this book, but. For, for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, it's 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 a book that addresses a real incident that took place of of Israeli right. soldiers raping a Bedouin girl um, uh, back in um, I think it's forty nine forty nine at at a mm-hmm. time when they were, they were sort of patrolling uh, the border between Israel and Egypt and and in the Negev Desert um, and. But but again, this idea that, you know, uh, there's a responsibility on Arab writers and Palestinian writers to portray Israelis positively. I mean, one, as if there is a complete lack of understanding that, uh, you know, many Palestinians lived experiences is does not include positive interactions ever with Israelis. Like, you know, if you're someone who grew up in Gaza, like what? What positive views have uh, you know? What positive experiences have you ever had with with Israel and Israelis? Um, you know, and two, I mean, it's it's just it's just completely tendentious. It's a ludicrous. Like, it's a ludicrous argument. Completely. Can you imagine right saying re- throwing out a, a work of the Harlem Renaissance because there's right. no really really nice white white people in it? it right, it's a, just right. a totally insane argument and. Sorry, people have experienced seeing their parents be humiliated at a checkpoint. Of course, of course. But I mean, but this so in a way, um, you know, uh, obviously the, this this fight of what can and cannot be said in academic and cultural and and literary spaces in the West is, you know, a a corollary to the to the violence that's that's happening in Gaza, and at times I think a, sometimes I think a complete distraction, but then sometimes I think you know no a sort of extension and part and parcel of it because like 
the language that is or isn't admissible and does or does not get shared, it really does have a, an effect. It, it really legitimizes or delegitimizes forms of violence. And so it does matter. And, and anyway, th these are the spaces that we work in and, and, and these are the things that matter to us. Like we care about words and language and freedom right. of expression. So in a way, this is, this is the field in which words, you know, I think working and caring about, and, um, and I would, you know, I would recommend, uh, there's a there's a, there's a piece in New York Magazine recently by Andrea Long Chu, all of whose writing I think is is fantastic, and who is you know one of these people that uh, has 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 revealed themselves to like get Palestine and get Israel very fundamentally in a in a in a very encouraging way, uh, you know that's uh, that's that's sort of exciting to see, um, and uh, it, I, I, it addresses this question of you know what she calls the an actual culture war that's going on in the, in the, in the US in particular that is what an open conflict over how our cultural institutions should be structured this is taking the mm. form as it were she writes to door to door fighting on the terrain of culture firings and resignations clashes in editorial meetings the withdrawal of art sponsors the boycotting of nonprofits letters 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 in a very real sense we are talking about not some not about some clash of ideas, but about a sustained and highly fractious workplace dispute at the heart of the American cultural industry. Um, and then, and then, uh, I don't want to read too much of this bit. It is worth reading in its entirety. Um, and I'll just read a little bit more to give a sense of the arguments. Um, what everyone knows on some level, I think, is that speech has the power to incite action because speech itself is already a material act. Yes, anti-Zionism is an idea, not a rock. But if it were only an idea without any practical potential, then there would be no point in throwing it. The difference right now is that given the tremendous political and ideological instability introduced by the war, a number of powerful people in America currently believe that talking about freeing Palestine could actually end up freeing Palestine, and it is this cascade of actions that they are ultimately trying to suppress. This tells us something very important. They are afraid. The question is not whether intifada, which means uprising in Arabic and invokes both civil disobedience and violent resistance, is a threatening term. If it were not threatening, the House would never have convened an entire hearing about it. The only question is whether threatened parties, the Israeli apartheid regime, American foreign policy hawks, all the board members and lobbyists and donors and hedge fund managers deserve to be threatened. They do. Um, and then it just concludes. Let the left say that freedom of speech is a public good, like a healthcare system, an essential element of a just society that is also regularly subject to abuse, fraud, corruption, and the private interests of the wealthy. When this abuse happens, as it is happening now, we oppose it because we believe that freedom of speech without justice is like a planet without air. We do not protest the war on Gaza because we have an abstract right to do so. We protest it because it's one of the great moral atrocities of our lifetimes and because the widespread refusal to admit this in America is an atrocity in its own right. 
We are not just speaking. We are fighting with words and we're fighting to win. Yeah, I love those final lines. I, I really I recommend reading the whole thing because the argument is made very, very well. I think it's, it's significant the number of major institutions also that are choosing silence in, in the and and kind of a, a quiet censorship in this period of yes, and that that is also their form of of their their de- declaration of allegiance, which is to what's what is actually happening. So, um, like the Poetry Foundation, um, you know, they pulled this um, in in a different way. They pulled a an essay about anti-Zionist poetry mm. by an anti-Zionist Jewish writer um, in in October. They pulled. And, you and mean they, they unpublished? They, no, they didn't. Un- I'm sorry. It was it was going to be published, and then they said, "Let's delay. Let's delay. Let's delay." And then finally, let's not run it. Um, and the, you know, there's uh, yeah. been a, I think a small response to um, to to boycott the Poetry Foundation among poets. Uh, they, you know, so I think there are many of these institutions that uh, you know there was a. Um, uh, uh, an exhibit on, on Islamic art, I can't remember where, that was canceled. Uh, there was uh, Samia Halabi's art exhi- ex- exhibition in uh, in Indiana that was, you know, in the works for three years and canceled. And many of these cancellations, uh, you know, are, are called like out of sensitivity or um, we're worried. We've we've we're worried about threats. You know, but without right. contacting the person whose work is going to be exhibited or or the artists themselves. I mean, can you imagine that there is going to be threats on an, uh, some terrible violence is going to happen if you do an exhibition of 10th century, uh, you know, art uh, in wherever the city in, in the United States is. But, the, but there's I sort mean, of their decision is we're not going to be political or I'm sorry, but we're not going to be, we're not going to speak about this kind of, this particular moment, which is their speech. But also, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's so egregious. I don't even know what to say. Like in some cases, it's, it's literally just the presence of a Palestinian writer or artist Mm. in Mm. the spotlight regardless of what their work is, it's just the potential for them to be in public on a platform and what they might say. It, it, right. You know, right. in the same way or, that right. it's their, the very existence of Palestinians poses a problem to Israel, like the existence of two, point, yes. of two, two yes. million refugees in Gaza is the fundamental problem for Israel like and 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 you feel that by extension in a lot of these western spaces and institutions it is the 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 existence and the voice of a, of and the point of view of a palestinian that is yes inherently threatening provocative controversial i mean again the idea that the these words are 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 what's being treated as the great sort of threat and now problem like the fundamental problem are the words of these people you know the chance that students say when 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 people are dying it it feels like such right. a misdirection right. you, you, you know mm-hmm. um just 
so well, it's also a, a very one-sided. Uh, I saw I, I on Twitter that someone had asked a police officer in um, in London because there was a major march in London again yesterday. Um, uh, so if we say from the river to the sea, then it's it's a criminal act. It's it's considered mm. hate speech. Um, but what if an Israeli says from the river to the sea? And the police officer said, it's fine. So uh, it's a, a very, <laughs> it's a very specific form. Like, I, I mean, yeah. Joe Biden got to go on television and claim he didn't know if people were really dying, which is itself, you know, casting doubt on, on, on deaths. Right. Is, is genocidal. No, I mean, that there's a, that there's a double standard. I mean, it's always been the case. And, and I would just add the caveat that like, um, you know, being concerned like as a Jewish person about and as and as any person about like genuine threats about real anti-Semitism, which is there, which has always been there, which I'm sure actually this conflict is going to unfortunately like increase. We've already seen all these like mm, right wing yes. creeps, you know, uh, uh, right. Taking it, uh, grifting from fi- this moment, fi- finding, yes. finding their place the in it, you know, like, none of us are not concerned with that or don't care about that. Like, like the problem is, you know, people, uh, like (laughs) having no sense of perspective about like their safety and their, their security and what is or isn't a genuine threat to them, like discomfort and opprobrium right, and right. hostility and criticism is 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 not the uh, uh, you know this the same like how you can equate that with people who have clearly been told by the entire international community that their lives and the lives of their children are valueless like you 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 know they're they're just right, right. and even with the you know and 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 I don't know much about Israel and inside Israel and what there's you know I it's not a society I'm familiar with. There clearly have been like the the shock of the attacks, and you know, on in this incredibly already right wing government and space, you know, with all the repression and all the paranoia uh, and all the propaganda, you know, a, a real trauma has then just been, been turned into is some sort of like national, uh, you know, psychosis. Uh, but again, like. That you cannot see that 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 the, the the response to harm and fear of some kind is to is to inflict endless, unaccountable right, right. harm on others. I, I any <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else. Uh, I'm not sure there's a way to end that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but except it goes on. It is just a fight. It's a fight. Like you have to stand up for your ideas. And, and, and that's why I find, you know, the words of others, of people who are even better, you know, polemicists than I am better at rhetoric, better at arguing, like, you know, but sincerely in ways that make sense, uh, very, very helpful. And, and who have the same moral compass, who have the same, principles who you recognize a consistency in their politics mm. uh mm. It, that 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 you know i have felt you know we've gone through some moments like this the the suppression of the arab spring for me was one one of these clarifying moments where you saw where people 
fell and whether they cared about human rights for everyone or not, you know, and, the, and before that, the Iraq war. And, and, and the one thing I'll say right. that I think is, is, is different, I think, this time. One reason why we are having these fights within Western institutions and media is that for all the censorship and for all the double standards, my, my gut feeling, my intuition is that actually the, 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 the voices of Palestinians and of people who care about Palestine as an issue are heard more now that the, 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 this is the victims of a kind of violence that takes place and has taken place again and again around the world, but that actually we are hearing uh, from the victims and their allies, allies more than we have, certainly more than we ever did during the Iraq War. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, actually, the problem that's being presented is that people are speaking back and are being heard. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, one of the things that... I, I don't know, surprised is the wrong word, but when I looked at the books that had been published between 2003 and 2005 about Iraq, there were thousands and thousands written by U.S. journalists, soldiers, U.S. aid workers, um, any, any Joe Blow in, you know, who could write in English, who was you from the U.S., the U.K., uh, Europe, and there were still no voices or, or you know, maybe one book two books that had been published by Iraqis, either who wrote, uh, either Iraqis who wrote in English or, or had been translated. Um, and there wasn't, you know, there weren't these kind of, uh, well, there, there, yeah, there weren't these kind of social media spaces where people could kind of wedge their way in and, and, mm. and create an audience for themselves. Of course there were blogs, but um, I think many of the Iraqi blogs were, we're in, but how many, you know, like, how many Iraqis did we hear from during the invasion? Do, do you know? Like, I, I do think that there's oh, something like, different. I don't know. There's, yeah, right. There's people who are following people on Twitter in Gaza, and then seeing people they've they who they've been listening to right, and reading, right. and and what's happening to them every day, and then like sometimes that person has been killed. Uh, I mean, and yeah. I think also the there is actually. Like uh, within a certain generation, within certain political spaces, within certain, you know, uh, cultural spaces, like actually, you know, the Palestinian voices themselves are, are so are actually heard more than I could have hoped. Uh, and that the issue itself is now seen, I think, differently by a large swath of people. Um, right. And, and, all, and I think there's also a wonderful decentering that you can see in the fact that it's South Africa that brought this case to the right. ICJ. And um, there's a mass movement of Indonesians, for example, um, in the translation of, of Palestinian literature and in the kind of promotion of, of Palestinian voices. Um, so I, I think you're also seeing a, a Fantastic, and, and and I think you know the fact that that European and and North American countries, and by North America I mean Canada and the United States, are are so clearly not on the side of 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 justice of this kind of free speech or or democratic action that they kind of you know um, style themselves as. It's it's really kind of a stark moment. 
Yeah, it's clarifying. I mean, mm. you'd rather not like you, that these things were not there in the first place to be clarified and uh and, and you still are stuck with the question of okay, I can see this now what do I what what does one do? Yeah, um, right. Right. But uh, uh and I hope that it's, I I'm you know half half hope smarter, braver people than me are going to figure that out. Um but I'd be I happy to hear suggestions. Um and you know in in like people are organizing all sorts of 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 events and initiatives and I think networks um and uh I, it's it's tomorrow, right? That there is the read for Refat, uh, right? Initiative the global around day of the world. Is, the global yeah. day of action is January fifteenth, and then there's a week of events, the fifteenth to the twenty first. It starts on the fortieth day after his death. Um, the idea is this: that we did this kind of read Palestine week at the end of November and early. December. Now you you read, and now now go out and and engage. Read this in public. Um, mm. Read is disruption. Um, read it at school. Read it at work. Read it in a mall. Read it in a public place. And we're talking specifically at first about this poem, "If I Must Die," that Rafat had pinned it to his profile when he did die, and it's been viewed tens of millions of times and translated into more than a hundred languages, carried at protests around the world. And um, one of the things I find interesting about this poem, which is that it was written, If I Must Die, it's after a, um, a poem by Claude McKay, who is a Harlem Renaissance poet, which itself is adapted from a Shakespeare sonnet, which, you know, Rafat, I don't know, I didn't ever talk to him about it, but I think he must have liked as a Shakespeare scholar himself. And mm. he was always interested in these international solidarities. And so the idea is, yes, to I think that's something that is is a constant point of discussion in this Publishers for Palestine group, which is, no, we can't just read as a passive act. We can't just sit at home and read. We need to go disrupt, act. Uh, mm. You know, yes, we're publishers, we're writers, we're readers, but um, we need to then take that uh, into into the next sphere. I'm. Um... I don't. There's been tons of cultural events organized here in Amman, but I, I, I would, I would be very surprised if there isn't some, some, some event connected to this here. But I, I need to find this out for tomorrow. Um, but in the meantime, what we're going to do just here on the podcast uh, is, is share a poem um, that I that is, that, that is connected, I think, to this event that is that is that is in honor of Rafat. So uh, uh, one of Rafat's many students or, uh, is, is Basman al-Dirawi, who's a contributor to, to Arab Lit and to uh, hopefully to our Gaza, Gaza, Gaza issue of, of Arab Lit Quarterly. And um, yes, he has read a poem for us in, in Arabic and in Tala Ladki's English translation that we can go out on. لست بحاجة لارتداء نظاراتك سانتا هل ترى تلك السحابة السوداء هناك يا سانتا؟ هناك كان طفل من غزة ينتظر هدية ينتظر أن يخرج مع أبيه إلى منتزه الجندي المجهول أن يركب السيارات الصغيرة هناك أن يذهب إلى البحر يلعب مع الرمال والأمواج 
ويشتري كوبا من الذرة ثم يعود إلى البيت لينام تحت صوت الطائرة الزنانة التي ظن الطفل أنها جزء من السماء وأصوات الكون هل أخبرك عن أحلامه قبل أن ينام؟ ماذا كانت؟ هل حلم أن يعيش ويكبر؟ أو ربما أخبرك كطفل آخر أن الأطفال في غزة لا يكبرون لست بحاجة لارتداء نظارات كسانتا تلك السحابة السوداء الظاهرة هناك المرتفعة من قصف قبل ساعات قتل تحتها الطفل والأب والأم والإخوة قتل تحتها ألعاب وبيت وشارع ولائحة غير مستلمة من الأمنيات والأحلام You don't need your glasses, Santa. Do you see that black cloud over there, Santa? There used to be a child from Gaza, waiting for a present, waiting to go out with his father to the unknown soldier's square, to ride the little car there, to go to the beach, to play with the sand and the waves, to buy a cup of corn. Then, to go home to sleep. Under the sound of the buzzing hovering over planes, the ones the child thought were a part of the sky, the sounds of the universe. Did he tell you about his dreams before he slept? What were they? Did he dream about living, growing old, or maybe like other children, He told you that the children in Gaza don't grow old. You don't need to put on your glasses, Santa. See that black cloud over there? The one that rose up from the bombing just a few hours ago? Under it lie the murdered bodies of the child, his father, his mother, and his siblings. Under it lie the toys, the house, and the whole neighborhood, and an unanswered list of hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm.